You are listening to the Overflow Podcast, a ministry of First Denton. For more information on Overflow, please visit overflowdenton.org. My senior year in college, I was, I was asked to do uh, a, to, to teach at, a, at this all-week revival, like old-school revival in this podunk town in Arkansas. The town was named Ozone, Arkansas, and uh, when you think of, like, podunk, it was podunk. These people didn't even have, like, you know, normal plumbing. Uh, they had to get the water from wells. This church was, like, maybe 30, 40 people in it. It was crazy. Go to this town, and uh, when I get there, they said, okay... Uh, so you're going to be preaching all week, like four or five times, uh, and, and we're going to have you staying with a host home. And so the pastor of this church is driving me to meet the host home family that was going to be keeping me. And, and, uh, and as we're going there, he's like, hey, I just want to tell you kind of ahead of time so that you know uh, that this guy, he's a Vietnam vet. And so he's, he's got a lot of, um, he's got a lot of you know, issues with Vietnam and kind of mental issues. And so, uh, but anyways, he's cool. Uh, you're going to love staying with them. I'm thinking, sweet, like of all the families that you could have thought of, you're going to stick me with this couple here. But uh, I, get to their, I get to their house, and uh, their names are Carl and Beth, and uh, they're super sweet, like kind of little old couple. And, uh, and I meet them, they introduce themselves, and uh, after about five minutes, they said, hey, we're going to leave for a minute. We've got to go to the store to pick up some stuff, so make yourself at home. We'll see you here in a little while. So they, they walk out the door, and then after like 30 seconds go by, Carl uh, comes back in, he opens the door real quick and goes, hey, Austin. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, hey, I don't know if the pastor told you, uh, but I'm a Vietnam vet. So he, this is what he said. He goes, I'm kind of messed up in the head. So uh, there's guns everywhere. Don't let it freak you out. And uh, he goes, I'll be back in a minute. And so he leaves. And I'm, I'm, I'm standing there thinking, all right, cool. Uh, I'm in the middle of like Podunk, Arkansas. I can't even see another house, you know, from where I am. And uh, apparently I'm staying with this dude and there's guns everywhere. So I, I start to make myself at home. I put my stuff in my room and uh, no joke, like everywhere I went, there was a gun. Like I shut my door, boom, rifle. Uh, I go to my bed and I'm sitting, stu- like putting the, my suitcase next to my bed. I look underneath the, the bedside table, boom, pistol. And uh, I'm just going all over the house. I'm seeing all these guns. So I go to the kitchen and they have like this picnic table as their uh, kitchen table. And, and I go sit down at the picnic table and I'm sitting there kind of looking over some of my sermon notes because I was going to be preaching that night. And I was like, man, this, this table sits low, which I'm tall. Sometimes the tables, I don't fit right. But uh, so I kind of, you know, reach under there and I felt like something was under there. So I just kind of like pushed it. And I was like, what is that? I look under there. I literally stuck my finger on the trigger of a shotgun that was, that was uh, connected up underneath the table. There's guns literally everywhere in this place. And so they get home later on, and I'm thinking, okay, these people are a little bit weird. I kind of, you know, being the normal guy, I kind of snooped through their fridge and their freezer while they were gone just to see what they had, you know, see what we were working with. And I found this container of, like, mysterious-looking meat in there, and eventually I asked Beth, I was like, what is that? And she goes, oh, that's squirrel meat. We ran over squirrel the other day, and so we saved it, and we're going to eat it later this week. And I'm like, y'all are going to eat it later this week. I'm not going to eat it later this week. But anyways, so, uh, so we're talking that night, and they begin to tell me their story, and, and honestly, coolest couple ever. And, and about an hour into the conversation, they begin to tell me about their son, and they said, yeah, our son, uh, he's, he's in prison 
And um, they tell me why. Honestly, I don't remember why he was in prison. But they tell me he's in prison. And then about 10 minutes after they tell me that, they, they said, hey, uh, we almost forgot to tell you. Our son, uh, he gets out of prison tomorrow, and he's going to be staying with us all week. And so my first thought is, sweet. So I'm surrounded by guns. Out of, your son has been in prison for the past three or four years. Like hard, like not just jail. Like kind of, He was in prison and uh, locked up. And now he's coming to stay with us and all these guns. And so I preached this revival like two or three days in. And... Uh, and you know, I'm, I'm, there's one morning, I'm sleeping, okay, it's like 6.30, 7 in the morning, and it's been a long week, so I'm still asleep, and about 7 o'clock, I just kind of wake up before my alarm, and, and I look up, and when I look up, Carl, old guy, he's standing there over my bed like this, just staring at me, and I was like, hey man, what's up? And he goes, what are you doing? I was like, I'm sleeping, man, what are you doing? And he goes, hey, let's go out back, and I was like, Okay, uh, he goes, throw on some clothes, I'm going to take you out back. And so I'm like, take me out back. I don't know what that means, but uh, <laughs> all right. So I threw on my clothes, and uh, we go out there. His son is out there, and uh, we hop in one of those little gators, you know, John Deere-looking things. And he drives us, like, out in the middle. He had all this property. He drives us out in the middle of these woods. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. Like, I am being driven out into the middle of the woods. I've got this convict on my right. I have no idea where we're going. This is like one of those freaky Arkansas movies where I get slashed. You know, preacher guy goes preach, podunk revival, blah, slashed, you know. So we get out there, and he's like, hop out of the gator. And I was like, okay, I'm hopping out. And uh, there's a little, you know, little bed in the back. And he pulls back this blanket and reveals, like, a stash of all of these weapons. And right in the middle is this massive AK-47. And he, and he goes, uh, let's shoot some stuff. And so uh, I was like, okay. And so... He goes, that's, a, that's an AK-47 right there. Uh, he's like, I don't know if people know that I have it, but uh, I got it, so let's, let's, let's shoot it. And so he loads up the clip, and the clip is like this big, okay, and the bullets for it are like, you know, huge. And, uh, and, he, and he loads up the clip, and he goes, you know how to use that thing? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, which I've never shot much guns in my life at all. Uh, and my parents were those people who were like, guns are going to be as far from the house as possible. So he's like, uh, he hands me the AK-47. He's like, you know how to use it? I'm like, yeah. And so uh, I, I, I take it, and... Uh, and I aim it, you know, out in the woods, and uh, it took me about three, maybe five seconds to empty that entire clip out in the woods. And, uh, and uh, Carl, he's looking at me, he goes, what were you shooting at? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. And he goes, you just emptied an, an entire clip, and you weren't even shooting at anything. I was like, I, I don't know. I just, I just, you gave me the gun? i I just wanted to shoot the gun, and it was awesome, like, just the recoil. On the, anyways, I emptied the entire clip, and I wasn't shooting at anything. And Okay, so why do I share this story, dumb story? Uh, in so many ways, I feel like this describes our relationships. You know, so many of us, we're emptying ourselves out on relationships that aren't going anywhere. And in our hands, we're holding this extremely powerful weapon Yet not only do we really not know how to use it, we don't even know where to point it. Like we don't know what we're aiming for. And as a result, because we don't know what we're aiming for, the result of that is a lot of unnecessarily broken hearts, a lot of failed relationships, and a lot of marriages that are quickly, uh, a lot of future marriages that are quickly going to head for disaster. And so tonight we kick off this new series, How to Date, Mate, and Procreate. And, and, and listen to me, I seriously believe, I was telling the guys beforehand, I believe that this series could be the most important sermon series you ever hear in your life. Aside from the fact, here's why, aside from the fact that, that there are few things as close to the heart of God as how we do relationships and how we handle our sexuality, 
The way that you handle your relationships and what you do with your relationships right now in college will drastically impact the rest of your life, like the entire trajectory of your life. And my guess is, so if we were to like have personal conversations with every single one of you in this room, my guess is most of you would say something along the lines of this. Like many of you would say, well, so yeah, I'm dating this guy, I'm dating now, I'm dating this girl, I'm dating now, uh, because we want to find out if we love each other. Or, or maybe some of you would say, you know, I hope to date somebody one day. A lot of you guys are like, I never been on a date. I hope to date somebody one day. Uh, and then the follow-up question is, well, why? Well, because, you know, I want to get to know that person uh, and, and see if they're the right person for me. And maybe we'll fall in love. And maybe one day we'll get married. Some of you are like, yeah, I asked her to marry. You're already, like, engaged. You put a ring on it. And you're, you're like, yeah, I asked her to marry me because, uh, yeah, we, start, we were dating and we fell in love with each other. And now we want to spend the rest of our lives with each other. Some of you are like, I have no idea why I'm dating this person I'm with. Like, if you could hurry up and get to the last week of this series where we talk about how to break up, that would be great because I do not know what I'm doing with this person and I'm ready to figure out how to get away. Now, let me start and say this. Like, I really don't like the phrase, uh, fall in love. And the reason I don't like the phrase, fall in love, is because it makes it sound like it's something that accidentally happens. But true love does not accidentally happen. It's something that you aim for. And the thing is, in order to intentionally aim for something, you've got to know what your target is. So the big question tonight is, what is true love? Like, what's our target? Like, before we even begin to dig into the how to date, how to mate, how to procreate stuff, we've got to start here. So tonight is, how do we know what true love is? And I know as I say that, all you girls are like, yes. This is what we talk about all the time anyways, so girl talk, let's do this, you know. Y'all are going to be bringing buckets of ice cream and trying to come in your PJs next week and, you know, just have this little girl talk together. Please don't do that, by the way. You guys, though, you guys are like, true love, Pfft. I don't need to Pfft. talk. Don't act like you didn't bring pen and paper ready to take notes this week, all right? <laughs> so what is true love? All right, everybody turn to 1 John chapter 3. First John, and, and listen, I want to wait for you to get there, so um, if, you, if you have a Bible, 1 John 3, if you have a Bible app, 1 John 3, um, I, I need you to get there because we're going we're gonna to do our best tonight to really engage with just like one line from this text. I want you to see it with your own eyes. I'm not making this stuff up. We're, we're not, I'm not giving you advice. Thank God I'm not giving you my advice. We're going to look at what the Bible says. So 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, you can look on with somebody next to you. That's a good way to bond and uh, get to know the person next to you. Okay, if you got it, say, say got it. Okay, I feel like nobody over here has it. Uh, okay, if you got it, say got it. Okay, now if the person next to you still doesn't got it, then like help them get it, okay? First uh, John, not, not John 3, not John 3, 1 John 3. Now listen to what this says. Listen to what this says. 1 John 3, beginning in verse 16, says this. By this... We know love. It says, by this, we know love. Now, some of you may have the NIV. The NIV says, this is how we know what love is. I mean, the Bible comes straight out and says, you're asking the question, what is true love? Boom. I'm about to give you an answer. Now, now here's what I want you to do. As you're looking at that, if, if you're using your Bible, I want you to take a pen out. And unless you're just totally against drawing in your Bible, I want you to underline or circle or square that word, this. If you've got the Bible app, then maybe use your highlight feature and highlight the word, this. And then here's what I want you to do next. 
I want you to draw a line from that word this to the nearest margin, and I want you to write this in the margin. If you get this, if you get your this from the wrong place, then your relationships will end up in the wrong place. I want you to write this in the margin. If you get your this from the wrong place, then your relationships will end up in the wrong place. Now, here's where I'm going with this. So God says this. He doesn't say that. He says this. And I know this is a small pronoun, but, but this is huge to us understanding what he says next. Think about when you use the word this. How often do you use the word this when you're not pointing at something? How often do you use the word this when you're not, if not maybe literally pointing at something, you're at least in some form or fashion directing people's attention to the thing that you're referring to as this? Like, play these scenarios out in your mind. Like, I love this front row right here. They're always here. They're all like, look up real quick. They're always here. You know, they're always right here on the front row. And it's, it's great because uh, I can watch them and, and I can trust them to help me know, okay, is what I'm saying making sense or is it stupid or, or what? Because they, especially Afua, she's sitting right here. If y'all know Afua, this is, raise your hand, Afua. Come on, put it up, girl. So, Afua, it's so, I, I, I use you to help me, like, understand where I'm at in this sermon. Because if it's making sense, she always does this kind of squeeze your lips together face, like, but if it's not making sense, she looks at me like, you know, gives me nasty face. So I'm watching, I watch her, but okay, so awful, I'm going to use you as an example, okay? Let me ask you this question. Um, do you want this? I heard it as I was coming out of my mouth. That didn't sound right. I'm not talking about this, okay? Um, okay, but you know what? That worked great. Let me tell you why. L- listen, that actually worked out great. That was awkward. I'm sorry, okay? Uh, That works so great because, look, if I don't point to something or I don't direct your attention to what I'm referring to as this, then it creates a lot of confusion. In this case, some awkward confusion, and that's not what I was saying, so back up. Uh, Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, you have to point. When you say this, you're always pointing or you're saying this or, like, sign this or here, do you want this? Like, do you want this or do you want this? or do you, Here, do you want Jay, Jay or Wag, whoever was standing there, their guitar? Like, you point to something. And here's why this is so huge and so important. It is as if God has literally reached down from heaven and is pointing at our target that we're aiming for. When he says here in scripture, this is how you know what love is, it's as if he's answering our question by so clearly saying, like pointing down from heaven, pointing to the answer that he is about to give us. He's saying, aim for this. He's saying, this is your target. The Bible could not be more clear in how it answers this question, what is true love? God, he, he leaves no room for doubt. He leaves no room for questions. He leaves no room for ambiguity, big word there, and how we interpret this. He leaves no room for that. He's saying this right here, this right here is what true love is. So here's the only issue we have as we move forward. Because he's being so clear, the only issue that we have as we move forward asking the question, what is true love, is how seriously, how seriously do you want to take what he says next? And here's why I say that's a huge question. I know that most of you, for most of you, your relationships or your ideas about relationships, they look a lot more like what you might see in the movies than what you would find in God's word. And we'll get a little bit into that more here in a second. 
But we're, we're dealing with this question, what is true love? And, and I want to start with this. If you get your this from the wrong place, then your relationships are going to end up in the wrong place. So what is true love? And, and listen to me. What he says next is an absolute game changer. So look at verse 16 again. He says, by this, we know love. Or if you're NIV, this is how we know what love is. And then he says this, that he laid down his life for us. By this we know love, that he laid down, that Jesus laid down his life for us. So as a college pastor, and, and this is my eighth year of doing college ministry, I've, I've, I'm getting to do quite a few weddings because obviously college students, I don't know what it is about the ministries I lead, but man, it's like hook up, like not hook up in that way, but like... Uh, <laughs> Like, people just get to know each other. They, you know, start to like each other, start to love each other. Then they put a ring on whatever, and then they move on and get married. So, you know, if you're here and you're looking for that, you might be in the right place. But aside from that, I'm getting to do a lot of weddings. Wow. I don't know why I said all that junk. Uh, I'm getting to do a lot of weddings, and um, which I I, I really do like to do weddings. It's fun. I got two. I got one coming up in October, one in November. Um, And uh, actually, some of those are former students from here. But anyways, I, I like doing weddings, and it, it's so fun, but there's a lot of awkward things that happen in weddings, okay? Like, my first wedding ever was out in Lubbock, Texas, West Texas. It's windy out there. And they decided to do this wedding in April outside, which April is the windiest month. of the, Like, sandstorms come through. It's terrible. I don't know what they were thinking, but I was like, whatever. It's not me. So we do this wedding outside, and no joke, one of the most, his first wedding I ever did, super awkward, in the middle of... Uh, a talking part that I had, this like seriously one minute long gust of wind comes through. It blows everything down. Like the whole setup they had, all of it falls down. Like the, the bride almost died in the process. <laughs> blows everything down, including all the sound system and stuff. And so like we're just standing there and it's like, just imagine like everything behind, like all the stuff just boom, falls down. And it's like, cool. So uh, what do we do now? And <laughs> It was awkward. You kind of had to just roll with it. But there's all these awkward things that happens and happen in weddings. And I'll tell you, the most awkward part for me of every single wedding I've ever been a part of is the very end. That moment when I get to say, by the power vested in me by the state of Texas and God, those are not the same thing, though some people might think that is, but <laughs> by the power vested in me by the state of Texas and by God, I now pronounce you man and wife, you may kiss the bride. Now, this is the most awkward moment for me ever, and here's why. Because I'm standing like six inches from the faces of these two people that are about to like have like this lip connection here, okay? Usually it's about right here. I'm tall, so lip connection here. So first wedding, and here's the thing, like weddings have a lot of photos, and those photos end up online, and so like there's always these awkward photos of me in the last kiss, or the first kiss, I guess, hopefully it's not already the last kiss, uh, the first kiss (laughs) of these weddings, and I always get tagged in this photo. Like I oftentimes won't get tagged in any other photo, but I get tagged in this photo, and I remember this first wedding, They gave me such a hard time because in this first kiss, like when it happened, I realized, oh my gosh, I'm standing six inches from their face and they're like kissing. So this is what I did. I did this. (laughs) And so in the picture, and it's on Facebook, in the picture, it's years ago though, so you have to search, but in the picture, I'm like, I'm, I'm doing this. And so I get this all the time. Like, what the heck were you doing in that photo? And I'm like, well, listen, I mean, how would you feel if like next time you kiss somebody, there's somebody six inches away from your face just going... It would feel wrong. It would feel awkward. So I didn't know what to do. So, I'd, so anyways, they're like, dude, you got to smile. It's a good thing. So I was like, all right, next wedding I do, I'm just going to tough it out, and I'm just going to smile and look at them. So that's what I did. So in the next one, I'm standing there going, <laughs> I'm close enough where like, I have to move my head to get both of their heads in my shot, you know? And, and, like, 
And so now people are making fun of me because I know that I look like that creepy dude who probably drives one of those old vans around with tinted windows and curtains in it, you know, like offering candy, get in my van. One of those people. It was, it was terrible. So, so the next wedding, the next wedding I'm standing there thinking, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I get to that point. I'm like, I now pronounce you husband and wife. You may kiss the bride. And I freaked out. So I ended up doing this halfway thing where I'm this, but I'm like looking, you know. <laughs> and again, I'm tagged in that photo as well. So now it's like I'm looking, but I don't want anybody to know that I'm looking, which is even creepier. Like I'm one of those internet stalker kind of guys probably. Weddings are tough. They're hard. And, you know, if, if you're ever at a wedding that I'm officiating, then you're going to know when that moment comes and they're kissing each other. That's exactly what's going through my mind. But, you know, what's more interesting to think about is what's going through the mind of the bride and the groom. Like, throughout the whole wedding, like, I, girls are always like, oh, my gosh, I love to see when the bride comes in and she's walking down the aisle. I love to stop and I love to turn and look at the groom and see his face. It is, you can see true love in that moment. It's amazing. <laughs> And just talking about the idea, they start to like, you know, clam up and get, get teary-eyed, pass me a Kleenex, my mascara, it's kind of smeared, it's not waterproof. But anyways, so uh, I drank a lot of coffee before this, I apologize. But it's, it's, it's even more interesting to think about what they're thinking in that moment when they have that first kiss. Like, it's one thing what I'm thinking about, which is pretty, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wrestling match there, but it's more interesting to think about what they think about. Like, what do you, what do you think a, a, the bride is thinking in that first kiss moment? What do you think she, I'll tell you what she's thinking. She's thinking camera angle because she knows that these photos are going to be up on Facebook in, a, in, in like a week or two. And so she's thinking, okay, honey, we got to get, get the right camera angle here because this is a one-time wedding shot moment and it's all about like savoring the wedding for them. What do you think the guy's thinking about in that moment? Oh yeah, one step closer to doing the sex, baby. <laughs> That's what he's thinking. But let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question. What should everyone in that room, including me and the bride and the groom, be thinking in that moment? What should everybody in the room be thinking in that moment? God's word makes it so clear. You look back at 1 John 3.16, and, and it says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. In that moment, when they are joined in that union of marriage, you know what everybody in that room should be thinking? We should all be thinking, and, and, and don't, I don't want to lose you yet, but they should all, we should all be thinking about death. Um, my, my three roommates from college, best friends in the world, all three have died. And, and I've been to all their funerals. Um, Ross got married in 2007. Brian got married in 2010. Chad got married in 2010. I went to all three of those funerals. And that was supposed to be like, uh, oh, okay, well, let's see. I'm going to pray. We're going we're gonna to be done. Oh, man. Awkward weddings. How about awkward sermons? Wow. Anyways. Listen to me, though. Listen to me, though. Listen to me. Sorry I lost you with that. Listen to me. What should everyone be thinking in that moment? And the answer, I know this sounds weird, but the answer is death. Listen to me, there's a reason that you get married at an altar. There's a reason that you get married at an altar. You make sacrifices on an altar. And the image that God chose to use to teach us about true love is an altar where he sacrificed his life. 
What did Jesus lay his life down on? He laid his life down on a cross for us. But here's the unfortunate thing. Unfortunately, our culture has successfully replaced that true love image of a crucifixion cross with a bed. I mean, all you got to do is look at Hollywood. Look at all the top movies. I mean, Fifty Shades of Grey, Shadiness, whatever it is, hasn't even come out yet. And people are talking about it. The, you know, the book has been out. And people are flocking. Women are flocking to read this book, which honestly, to me, and I just kind of call you it ladies out for a second, that's, 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 that's hard for me to understand. Because on one side of the picture, the women in our culture are crying out for respect. They're crying out for, hey, treat us well. Hey, commit to us. And yet they're flocking to read books like this. They're loving books like this that are all about a man who absolutely destroys and dehumanizes a woman through sex. But for some reason, they're flocking to it. They love that. Those things don't match up. You know, I always, get hard, I always go, go hard on the guys in here for, for looking at pornography. But, but that's, that's pornography for, for girls. It's mind porn. It's like reading. You know, guys look at pictures. Girls read books. Either way, it's porn. So I just want to stop, like, a little side note here and challenge you. Like, if, if, if you're one of those people, you got the book and you're reading it or you've read it, like, you should probably feel convicted. Because God has so much more for you than what you're reading in that book. That should not be an exciting thing for you to read. But the point that I'm getting at is culture has replaced this true love image of the crucifixion cross with a bed. Just look at Hollywood. Look at all the movies. Every single movie, unless it's like a family movie, and even those mostly have sex in them or, or sexual things in them. But they're all just laced with sex. And so like one month you got a sappy romantic movie that comes out. And the reality is even these movies that are like put in the genre of romance, they're they're still formed around sex. They're formed around what happens on the bed or wherever else they have sex. And then like every other month, you've got this movie that comes out, kind of like Fifty Shades of Grey that's coming out, that's about affair and, and rape and all these other terrible forms of sex. But it's all sex. You look at the television you got things, you got reality, quote unquote reality TV now. You got Naked and Afraid on the stinking Discovery Channel. And it's really all about sex, not survival in the woods. You've got a show called Dating Naked. It's all about sex. Like, skip everything else, let's jump straight to the sex. You have a show called Married at First Sight. It's all about the sex. I mean, just look at the Billboard Top 100. What do you th- I, I checked it last night. What do you think is. The number one song on Billboard Top 100 right now. Sex. <laughs> Sex. <laughs> you know, normally like the, the just go-to answer is Jesus. I love the fact that it was just sex right there. So anyways, what do you think the number one song on Billboard was? It was not sex, by the way. Okay, y'all got number two. Number one, of course, was T-Swift singing uh, whatever that song is. What's the song? You know, you can just look at, you can just look at, look at her like song history that girl doesn't, I mean, her song in some of her, her songs in some form or fashion, they're all about like sexuality and all of her messed up relationships. She has no idea what she thinks about all this stuff. But, but what was the number two song? Y'all said it. Anaconda, Anaconda by Nicki Minaj. And you just go down the list and it's just all, it's just sex, 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 sex. It's very clear that when our culture thinks about love, it thinks about sex or in Nicki Minaj's case, anacondas. But culture has removed the image of the cross and replaced it with a bed. Culture has removed the image of the cross and replaced it with a bed, and that's where the problem lies. 
Most of your relationships or most of your ideas about relationships look a lot more like what you'd see in a movie than what you read in God's word. And if you want to find true love, you've got to start with the cross, not a bed. The bed is a symbol of sexual pleasure. The cross is a symbol of selfless sacrifice. And the anchor of love is selfless sacrifice, not sexual pleasure. So, if, if you want to fail at love, start with the bed. If you want to fall in love, start with the cross. Now, now think about all the ways that God could have shown his love for us. Think about this. Think about all the ways that God could have shown his love for us. Like, girls, I want you to think for a second. What's, what's the craziest thing that a guy's ever done to express his feelings for you? Think about that. Some of you girls are like, doesn't even matter. I'm still waiting on my Ryan Gosling. <laughs> what's the craziest thing? Think about that. What's the craziest thing a guy has ever done to show his feelings for you? Guys, let me ask you this. Like, what's the craziest thing that you have ever done to show your feelings for another girl? And, and pause. I'm talking about, like, romance crazy. I'm not talking about, like, go to jail crazy here. Some of you guys are like, well, I met this girl. I found this girl on Facebook. I didn't met her before in my life, but it's cool. I found her on Google search, and I found her address, and I went to her home in the middle of the night. That's, that's not crazy. That's, that's creepy. I'm not talking about that. But what's the craziest thing? What's the craziest thing that you have ever done to show a girl your feelings for her? Listen to me. It doesn't matter what it was. It doesn't matter what you've thought up. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter like what you plan to do to show your girlfriend or this girl that doesn't know you like her that you like her. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. Ladies, it doesn't matter. Whatever it is you're thinking up or planning out, all of those things pale in comparison to what Jesus has done for you. And, and let me tell you this. I just... I get so frustrated about how these people who read all these, you know, big philosophical books and think they know everything in the world, the way that they talk about Jesus as if, as if, as if they know all about him and they know what he was all about and as if he was just, you know, such a good teacher with, with good morals who always went by the book, was so reserved, not a pushover. The, the problem is when people like that talk about Jesus, what they reveal is they reveal how ignorant they are when it comes to Jesus. Because you look at Jesus, you look at his life, you look at what he did for us, you look at what he did while he was here, and Jesus, you will see, is crazy. Like I'm talking William Wallace, Braveheart, crazy times 50. Like take William Wallace, Shakespeare, and like a World War II kamikaze pilot, put them together, and now you're starting to get close to where Jesus is. You're starting to get close to understanding his crazy love. Your love is tame in comparison to his. Your love is so tame in comparison to his. See, our problem is... We are aiming for the wrong target. Our problem is we're aiming too low. We're aiming for this, I know this is like my go-to romance movie because I don't know of any other ones, but we're aiming for this notebook kind of sappy romance love when we should be aiming for a Jesus Christ kind of love. He did so much more than just, I don't even know what that stupid movie is about, but he did so much more than like keep a notebook to show his life. Is that what happened? I don't know. He did so much more than this notebook thing for you. Jesus did so much more than that he had the tar beat out of him for you. He had literally his flesh ripped off from his body for you. He was ruthlessly, mercilessly hammered to a wooden pole in the ground and left to hang and die for you. And he did that even though he knew, even though he knew that you wouldn't ever give him the credit that he deserves. He did that knowing that, that you would never um, give him the credit that he deserves. He, he did that knowing that, that you would cheat on him. He, he did that knowing that you would so easily get pulled away and distracted by lesser attempts at love. If you want to fall in love, you first need to know what love 
is or else you're going to fall into something else that you don't want to fall into. I mean, it's literally the difference between on a crazy, sweltering, hot summer day, you know, intentionally jumping into a cold pool of water. It's the difference between that and accidentally falling into a pile of cow manure any day of the week. One is significantly, one is clearly better than the other. So if you want to fail at love, start with the bed. If you want to fall in love, start with the cross. True love looks more like what Jesus did for you on the cross than anything anyone could ever do for you or to you in bed. This is how we know what love is, is what what the Bible says. Look at the cross. How drastically different, how drastically different would our relationships be if we spent less time looking at Hollywood and more time looking at Calvary where Jesus died? How much different would our relationships be? John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. True love, true love is sacrifice. You see that in 1 John 3, 16. Jesus, he came, he died, he gave himself, every part of himself for you. True love is action. You look at 1 John 3, 18, just a couple verses down, and it says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Jesus didn't sit back and tell us he loved us. He came and he showed us he loved us. True love is humility or it's being humble. If you look at 1 John 4, 9, it says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. God sent Jesus and Jesus obeyed. He humbly obeyed. He submitted to God's will. If you were to look at Philippians 2, 6-7, it says, Though Jesus was in the form of God. In other words, even though Jesus was God, is God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself. True love is humble. True love is intentional and unconditional. You look at 1 John 4, 10, and it says, In this is love. Again, he's saying this is how we know love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the means of forgiveness for our sins. God didn't sit back and wait for us. He initiated it. He intentionally pursued us. And God doesn't love us because we love him. He loves us simply because he loves us. His love for us isn't based on anything that we've done or anything that we're going to do. His love is simply based on who he is. And that's what you see when you look at the cross. And that's what you need to see tonight. That's our target. That's what we're aiming for. Clear as day. So if you want to fail at love, if you want to fail in love, start with the bed. If you want to fall in love, start with the cross. But even there, we still have to go deeper. Looking at John, 1 John 3.16, there, there, there's more we've got to extract from this. I mean, if, if, if you don't start with the cross, you're going to go to the bed looking for it to give you things that it's not capable of giving you. Think about this. If you don't start with the cross, you are going to go to the bed looking for it to give you things 
that it does not have the ability to give you. And this right here is why so many fail in love. People go to the bed or people go to relationships looking to find their identity. People go to relationships looking to find meaning and purpose. So many of you in this room, you're going to your relationships, you're going to the bed looking to find fulfillment and joy. The problem is those things can only be found at the cross. Listen to me, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband or a wife will never be able to give you what Jesus can. And some of you, you're still searching for love. Some of you, you're still searching for your identity. Who am I? Some of you, you're still searching for for meaning and purpose in this life. Some of you, you're still searching for fulfillment and, and, and joy in this life. And many of you, you're trying to find those things through your relationship. But listen to me. You can't. You can't find those things in a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a spouse. In fact, it is totally unfair to rely on your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your spouse to try and meet those needs in your life. If you're relying on them to try to meet those needs that you have to find identity, meaning, purpose, fulfillment, and joy, they are going to fail. And that is why so many people fail in love. They go to the bed looking for it to give them things that it is not capable of giving them. They go to the bed looking for it to give them things that only the cross can give them. So so here's the thing. If you don't hear anything else I'm saying tonight, you need to hear this. The only reason that you're still looking for these things, if that's you, and I have a feeling that it's many of you in this room. The The only reason that you're still one of those people looking for those things, looking for your identity, meaning, purpose, fulfillment, joy, love, it's because you're still looking in the wrong place. And all of those things are found at the cross. True love is found at the cross. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, loved you, so loved, really, 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 to like the 20 millionth power, loved you, that he sent his only son, his only son to die, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. True love is found at the cross. Identity, do you know this? Identity is found at the cross. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, for this purpose, right here, verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. In other words, here's what that means. You receive your identity at the cross. You, you, You take on the last name of Christ. You take on his name. So whatever family ties that you have, good or bad, those don't really matter anymore because now you're part of a different family, a family which, with a much greater inheritance. And for some of you, it wouldn't take much for it to be much greater inheritance. Others of you, it would take a whole lot because your family's loaded. But the point is, it doesn't matter what you've had in your past. What you gain is Christ, in Christ is infinitely more than what you could ever have here. He is your identity. Meaning and purpose is found at the cross. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, Christ." Christ's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You will never know what to do with your life apart from Jesus. You'll never know what your purpose, 
You'll never find the meaning of your life apart from Jesus. That's found at the cross. And then fulfillment and joy is found at the cross. John 10.10, Jesus, he says this. He says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Some translations say, I came. Jesus says, I came that they may have life and life to the fullest. And so here's what you need to hear from me. Before we can get to the how to date, mate, and procreate, how to do all this stuff, you have to start here. Jesus has offered you all of these things at the cross. And listen to me, as I was thinking through this tonight, I almost said, I was, I was going to say Jesus gave you all of these things at the cross. But I changed that. And let me tell you why I changed it from gave to offered. You, you need to understand this. God does not force his love on anyone. He does not force his love on, on, on any of us in here. And so many of us, so many of you, you grew up in and around a church culture. You grew up in and around people who your whole life have been saying to you that Jesus died for you. Your whole life people have been saying to you, or you've been hearing from the pulpit, God gave his only son for you. You've heard that your whole life. You, you've, you've been around it your whole life. And as a result, you've assumed that you've had it your whole life. Yet so many of you are still searching for your identity, your fulfillment, your meaning, your purpose. Okay, now hear me. I don't want you to lose this. Many of you who've grown up around this, and, and, and if you haven't grown up around this, this is still true of so many of you. You've been hearing your whole life, Jesus died for you. And because you've been hearing that your whole life, you've assumed that you've had it your whole life. Yet somehow, so many of you who've assumed that you have had Jesus your whole life, you're still searching for your identity. You're still lacking that fulfillment. You're still searching for your meaning and purpose. Why? Like, that should be a mass. Forget about red flags and the person you're dating. Let's talk about the red flags in your own life. This is one of those red flags. This should be the biggest red flag that you could ever look at and see in yourself in your life. And many of you, many of you, this is a red flag in your life. You should be concerned. If you have believed your whole life that you've had Jesus, yet you're still seeking identity, fulfillment, purpose, love, you've got to ask why. And let me tell you this. Here's what I'm getting at. Jesus He's offered that to all of you, but many of you are yet to receive it. Just because you grew up around it doesn't mean it's yours. And just because maybe your parents had it or have it doesn't mean it's yours. And so more than anything else, I'm begging, I am, I'm begging you to consider the possibility that you have not yet personally put your faith in Christ. Stop going to the bed looking to get things that only the cross can give you. Stop going to these different relationships looking to get things that only Jesus can give you. My hope, my prayer coming into this is that God would convict 
your heart, just like he convicted mine in college. But that God would convict your heart to the point where you absolutely cannot resist what he is convicting you of. And, and, and let me just tell you, I believe so, in, in, in a cool way, I believe that God in this moment right now is drawing many of you to himself for the first time ever. And he's saying, look, come to me, me being Jesus. Come to Jesus. And it's here that you'll find your identity. It's here, not there. It's here that you'll find your meaning and your purpose. It's here that you'll find fulfillment and joy and love. Listen, some of you tonight need to respond to that call on your life. Let me pray for us. Thank you for listening to the Overflow Podcast. Please feel free to download and share with friends. We ask that you do not alter any of the previous content in any way. For more information about Overflow, feel free to visit us online at overflowdenton.org.